Welcome to the Yorkshire Grit Podcast. Tackling some of the biggest issues in men's mental health. Hello and welcome to episode uh, six of Yorkshire Grit. First of all, thanks for all the feedback. The Andy's Man Club podcast went really, really well. Uh, We wish them all the best and I'm sure... We'll get them on sometime soon, maybe, again. Anyway, as usual, I have got Dr. Tom, a.k.a. Tom. Hello. (laughs) Hi, Tommy. Um, Haven't seen you for a while, mate. What's going on? It's been ages, hasn't it? Yeah, it's my fault. It's my fault. (laughs) It was in this room about a month ago, wasn't it? I've forgotten how hot it is in there. It's always boiling. I know, I know. Um, I'm all right, thanks. Actually, yeah, yeah, I'm fine. Um, Are you you good? I'm good, apart from Leeds United. Yep. Their inevitable collapse. That uh, It turns out I can't really predict football very well, because... Previous time, I was really confident, yeah. and uh, then you know I'd, I'd completely forgotten how yeah. Leeds United consistently collapse. Uh, I should have remembered that, so I'm a bit disappointed. We we spoke on the phone. When was it? Two, three days ago. Yeah, and we just said we're past it now, aren't we? We just wanted to be over. I'm kind of yeah. Yeah, it just becomes too stressful. So I, I knew we'd blown it when we when we lost to Wigan on Good Friday. I knew that was the moment when we'd blown it. And, and I just, I tried to just put it in perspective, yeah. even though that's really hard because I love football. Yeah. And now it's on to the playoffs. I don't think we'll win the playoffs. I'm not going to make that prediction. But it's, you know what? Football's about entertainment at the end of the day. It's been an amazing season. Okay. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that's my reframe. I'm immensely proud of the Liverpool football team. Yeah, you should be. To the be. point where I almost got like a little bit teary the other day because I was just watching this team thinking, do you know what? I was in a pub in Manchester yeah. on Saturday night. I was like, fucking hell, Manchester United from there, Man City <laughs> fan here. Oh, <laughs> Sandwich between yeah. the Manchester fans. But there's some Man City fans. And do you know what? Maybe I had a drink or two. I just walked over to them. Mm. I said, can I just interrupt, please? I just want to say, whoever wins, fair play. Yeah. I'm going to respect you guys. And do you know what? Whoever wins bloody deserves it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it has been... Liverpool are going to finish on 97 points and probably not win it's the Premier unbelievable, League. Unbelievable, isn't Man it? Man United have once won it on 75. It's, it's, it... I'm, uh, yeah, I'm the same with Leeds. You know, yep. Norwich and Sheffield United, they deserve it. They, in, in the clutch moments, they play well and yep. fair play. Um, I'm going to say fair play and I'm proud no matter what. I hope Liverpool do it. My granddad uh, is a scouser. Of course. And uh, I've got his scarf at home in my study. And uh, they, they've got a special place for me. And thank you for the chat the other day we had. You're very welcome. I'm at a bit of a crossroads at the moment with counselling. Mm. Not sure whether it's, you know, 100% working with my counsellor. Mm-hmm. You were really good and said, look, don't be afraid. It's not always the first one. You've got to... So if there's anyone out there who thinks, do I just have to keep on doing this? Yeah. That ther- I'm lucky, though, that I've got you to... And you know me a bit, so thank you ever so much for that. No, you're very welcome. You know, that therapeutic relationship is the key thing. And if it's not working out, then you need to find another. Yeah. Can I just ask how Belgium was? Because you sacked me off. Tea at my house to go to Belgium. Belgium was unreal. Tora Flanders, Ronde van Vlaanderen was... Uh, Amazing. Epic. I'm glad you had a good time. Are you still going to come around for tea? Yes, uh, <laughs> I am. And June the 15th is a celebration. But anyway, look, we're being rude. We're being rude because um, talking of Belgium, an ex-hitter, current hitter, Think you're taffy, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, it's Colin Sturgis, um, Leon, 1989 world champion, individual pursuit, 1990 British road race champion, uh, fourth in the Olympics in 1988, sole individual pursuit. Bit of a show off, Colin, aren't you? 
Ah, you know, <laughs> Tommy, eh? Yeah, when you, when you have the class, eh? You always have the class. I've asked Colin to, um, I've, yeah, I have an obsession with people speaking Flemish. I, I used to go to sleep. This is how fucking weird I am. I would go on YouTube and type in something like Umlot Het Newsblatt 1988. And you know the commentary? Yeah. Brilliant, isn't it? It's really therapeutic, isn't it, when they speak in Flemish? Yeah, yeah. Do you I, I speak Flemish? So uh, for me, it's a problem to start it. I got, I got problem there. <laughs> yeah, sorry, this yeah, is sorry, re- this is real niche. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This is more niche than you're like, literally speaking another language. I'm into like uh, hardcore uh, German trance music. This is like a real niche kind of fantastic. This uh, is a side of you I haven't seen, Tommy. Oh, when you come around for tea, we'll get the trance on. But it, do you get that? As soon yeah. as you get to Belgium, it's open yeah. roads, cobbles, beer. Fritz, yeah, mayonnaise. Yeah. Like, it's just, yeah, it's a, uh, it's a culture that I don't know just gets ignored a lot. Um, obviously, not in cycling terms, but the general populace of, of Belgium, you know, yep. they're, they're pretty special people. Um, yeah, I suppose you've got to be. But you know, it's yeah, it's from cycling terms, it's amazing. It's an absolutely brilliant place. Um, you've raced in Belgium. I have. I lived there for three years. Um, but that's kind of. I'm trying to look at your journey from born. <laughs> well, <maybe Yeah>. not. <laughs> Probably can't remember that much um, <laughs> to where we are today because yesterday you competed in the International Rutland Classic professional bike race. Yep, that's right. You did unbelievably well. How was it? It was bloody hard. Was um, what? What an achievement! That is unbelievable. What an achievement! Did did people come up to you and go, "Fucking hell, that is unreal"? Yeah, yeah. Good. It was, it was you know, as I said, it was a pretty pretty special day. Um, emotional? Was it emotional? Um, yeah, it's sort of the first time I've ridden a you know, classic like that, uh, you know, British classic like that. Um, and it's something that I really wanted to do. And unfortunately it, it, yeah, it didn't pan out for me. I didn't, um, I was saying to you in the car up here, you know, just stupid things you get carried away in, in the moment Yeah, and, um, forgot to eat and forgot to drink. And the next minute you're seeing stars and thinking, yeah, that's a schoolboy era right there. So, you literally no. just couldn't pedal anymore. Just the no, you, nah, hit, you just, hit the wall, you, bonk. Yeah, you can mm. you can pedal and you can go through the motions, but you just you know you're just watching the uh, watching the bunch ride away, and then you're in the cars, and then it's like bye bye. No matter how many sticky bottles you get, you're not getting back on. Yeah, because you just the blood sugar's gone, and yeah. it's just end of days. Yeah, so it was a bit dopey, but you know, unbelievable. Can you tell us a little bit about your story? Can you can you tell us a little bit? And uh, you know, not to sound too. Tell us your life story. Uh, you know, but we're mates. I've known you for a while. And so for people who might not know about you. Yeah. So um, by way of introduction, my name is Colin Sturgis, quite obviously. Um, <laughs> and, you're um, not that old. You yeah. your name. You're doing well. List the achievements again. <laughs> yeah, yeah. As long as you just sit here. Um, I'm Yorkshire born. I was um, Get in. born in Wakefield. Lived in Osset until I was six years of age. Mm. Um, my parents... Moved over to Africa. Yeah, sort of started cycling when I was a kid in kid in Africa, um, living at altitude. So, you know, those formative years, you, you develop decent VO2 max, and you know, sort of all my all my formative years, as I say, were spent on the bike or yep. you know mm-hmm. playing sport over there. It's pretty special. Um, and then, yeah, sort of moved back to the UK when my parents decided that you know, sort of their contracts had come up. Um, yeah, the rest is history. Won a won a few bike races, uh, national titles, and things like that, and got to the stage where you know I was I was knocking on world titles and 
world mm. records and and was this in there. this in South Africa? No, no. This I mean I, I was I'd broken like national records over there as a junior. I was only you know sort of fifteen, sixteen, and I was beating the pros. Wow. Um, why? What? Why cycling? What? You know, uh, both swimming. Did you do swimming? Did you do running? Did you do tennis? Was it football? Just football. I was crap at everything except cycling, basically. Right. Um, and my parents were both um, Great Britain internationals, so it sort of you know flowed in. Uh, my parents were both involved quite heavily in Africa with the um, setting up of the schools cycling association over there. All oh, right. So you know, it sort of it just followed on that. You know, I, I just sort of follow into the sport. Part of uh, which the family I did. culture. Yeah, 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 very much so. And yeah, I, I played other sports, but I always came back to cycling. And what, what was it about cycling for you? Uh, I Obviously, think it was, you were good at it, but <laughs> yeah, I, I think quite honestly, it was, uh, you know, we were just steeped in it. You know, all the old magazines lying around the house were, were cycling weeklies mm. or international cycling sport. And, you know, dad would come back from work with a VHS or a Betamax tape of, of a race you know that had happened a month before but yep. you'd sit there you know in front of it and just like you know, wow and like you were saying Tommy about like you download YouTube videos to listen to the commentary yeah well, we do the same yeah you know you'd sit in front of the telly with a Betamax tape and yeah. on the rollers well yeah hey it's normal eh uh, shouting uh, Fabian Cancellara Tom Boonen hey <laughs> they weren't even born back then eh come on eh <laughs> so <laughs> yeah it's it's sort of, as you said, Tom. It's just part of of sort of my life history now. It's um, always been there. I've fallen in love and out of love with the sport numerous mm. times, um, which I guess we'll come on to this in a bit. But you know, it's sort of that falling in and out of love. You know, it's all or nothing. It, it's very much part of my bi- bipolar disorder. Um, you know, it's it's all or nothing. So, yeah. And very open about being bipolar. Was that something that was that something from an early age, or do you think that's something maybe you know? Did this is this something that manifested maybe with the intensification of cycling, or is it something which I'm not sure. Um, I look, I look back. I'm quite interested in in trying to find out, you know, if it's always been there. Is it nurture or nature? Mm. Um, and I'm still sort of on that journey of trying to figure it out for myself, but. I do look back at my childhood and think, you know, I was a relatively well-adjusted kid, good education, good schooling, happy lifestyle. But I do remember, you know, sort of even at, at sort of 10, 12, that sort of age, thinking, you know, there's got to be more and, and feeling quite sad about things. And then mm. a couple of weeks' time, you know, schools are out and you, you're riding your BMX bike every day. You're mm. out on your road bike training in the, you know, sort of little South African roads. And you think... Oh, you know, yeah, everything. So was that there? Yeah, probably. Um, and I think, as you said, intensification of training and racing, the stress, um, the, the tiredness, the addiction. Yeah. yeah, you know, you do get addicted. I think that probably just brought it out and it's it's there. It's just something you deal with now. When did it become problematic in inverted commas for you? Um, I think it was after I stopped cycling um in 2000 okay um i'd noticed i'd i'd been getting very very volatile having days if not you know sort of weeks on end where my my mood would be suppressed mm. um and then other times where you know i i wouldn't be manic as in 
you know, sort of that that sort of manic phase, but mm-hmm. very elated. Um, <laughs> Sounds just like me. <laughs> well, yeah, you know. Don't be yourself. <laughs> um, Sounds like most of the people I know. <laughs> well, this is it. I mean, uh, you, you probably know that a lot of high achievers, a lot of a lot of sports people that that reach the pinnacle of sport and other achievements, you know, poetry, mm. writing, art. You know, you've had Grayson Perry on here. You yeah. know, turn a winner prize. Blah blah blah. They can also reach the bottom. Yeah, mm. yeah. So it is. You know, it, it, it's there, and it's as I said uh, in two thousand. You know, it, it came to came to a, a, a very prominent sort of. You know, it, it sort of manifested itself, and uh, I was I was pretty sure that something was was going wrong. This is the Yorkshire Grit Podcast. So, Leicester, 16. You'd, Leicester. you'd returned. Yeah, that's <laughs> uh, it. Did you know Andy Swain then? Uh, no, 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 but um, oddly enough, in the last couple of years when we've been chatting and obviously running Metal Tech together and... Great and team, sort of, by the way. Yeah, should, we do, should, we just, should we just say that? Should we just <laughs> say that that's one of the best teams there's ever been? <sighs> Mate, it's... Yeah, it's, it's... And there won't ever be one like that? No, there think. won't. No. no, there won't. Which is... Which is a crying shame. It is. It really is a crying shame. Um, but yeah, you know, Leicester, I think my parents moved there predominantly. I, uh, you know, y- you have no say in the matter when you're 15, 16, mm. <laughs> um, except for the fact that, you know, you tag along. And my mother's sister lived in Leicester, so I think we, we sort of used her as a base for a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and at the time, um, the sort of international velodrome was on Saffron Lane in, in Leicester. And... Make no bones about it, we'd moved back from South Africa because of my cycling. So, you know, to be close to a track kind of made made sense. Um, and indeed, to this day, my parents still have a house 500 metres, 600 metres from the site of the mm. velodrome. So, yeah, came back. What was, that, what was that transition like? Because coming back from South Africa to Leicester. <laughs> yeah, and also, you know, so be, be mindful of the the era as well you sure. know, this is this is 1985 mm-hmm. that, um i've come back and you know that sort of 10 years i had there as a, as a kid it was all through the apartheid era mm-hmm. um and you know i've got a lot of mixed feelings about that as well because you know i have fond memories of south africa uh, as you do with you know school and, sure. and childhood friends and things like that but i also have you know, a lot of, of self-doubt as, you know, to whether did I support that system by even just being there? Mm. Uh, you, you can't when you're a kid, you know, you, you don't look at the colour of somebody's skin and, mm. and automatically go, oh, you have you have friends. It doesn't matter if they're, they're yeah. black or really good they're pink or, sure. you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. it doesn't matter. But you start to doubt yourself. It, it's something that you can't what change. What do you mean you doubt yourself? Um, as in sort of, you know, well, was even just me being there because I went to, you know, sort of primary schools where just white children and you, you, you kind of think, oh, you know, it's a lot more multicultural in the UK, obviously. And you don't want to be seen to support such a a regime like the, Mm. you know, the South African government was back then. I'm rambling a bit, but I, I guess what I'm saying is, you know, sort of it's, it's very difficult for me to reconcile the fact that I do have this South African sort of chunk of my life mm. because people do point fingers at you. Oh, you were there in the apartheid years. Yeah, but I was only fucking 10 years yeah. old, mate. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, you know, there's not a racist bone in my body. No, no, but no. some people, particularly early on when I moved back, mm-hmm. 
you know, certainly held that against my parents and held it against me. Really? Yeah. I've got no answer to that. And that, that's sort of, I found that quite hard. Mm. It's like, I didn't support apartheid. I didn't support the government. I was a kid. Um, why are you pointing a finger at me? Well, what was Leicester like in the in the mid eighties then? Um, yeah, it was a, it was an absolute eye opener. It's yeah. you know it's a great little city. It's quite a anyway. multicultural place, it's isn't massively it? Massively cultural. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, you know that. we've got a, a huge Asian population. Yeah. Um, you know the Pakistani, Bangladeshi, mm. Indian, and I hadn't really sort of immersed myself in any of that culture, and all of a sudden I'd gone to college, mm. where you know I walked in and instead of I mean, I, I must add in Johannesburg, my high school um, was one of the very, very few in Johannesburg that um, allowed black children into the system. Mm. So we might have two pupils in 100 that were black. All of a sudden I've gone into Leicester and, you know, it's completely multicultural. One in five is black. Mm. One in five is Indian, you know. So it was it was a real eye-opener. Do you think that kind of... It's not going to... Not going to give you motivation to ride a bike. It's not like someone's like telling you you can't do it, but that must have had some kind of effect on you. Yeah, it just makes you a lot more tolerant. Um, you you don't take prejudices um, overseas when you travel. You know, you travel to travel to bike races. Mm. Um, you go there with an open mind because you've your eyes have been opened. You've come from quite a closeted society yeah. um, into something that is very open. Yeah. Um, and very progressive and we are we, you know I know we're going through a lot of turmoil with Brexit and things in the in the country and, and politics in this country at the moment are not good but we are a very progressive and open society mm. um, you know we need to embrace that again uh, as, an, as a quick aside we might cut this <laughs> um, <laughs> is cycling multicultural? No I don't think no, it is No it's not No no, it's not. So because who's, who's I, it for? I read somewhere that Leicester's going to be the first city where white people are going to be the minority. Mm. It's going to be some really multicultural city. Yeah. Are there any Asian cyclists? Are there any, you know, I don't, you know, you, I know, you did Rutland yesterday. Yeah. So I know really top, top bloke, Zaz, um, who used to ride for the Zenith, which is a, a local Leicester club. Mm. And Zaz was as far as I can remember in all the time I've lived in Leicester or, or been associated with Leicester, you know, I really cannot think of any other racing cyclist from an Indian mm. background. Terrible. Why is that, yeah. do you yeah. think? Just, bro I, just cycling broadly, why is it not? I really don't know. I, I don't know. Isn't um, that funny, though? Because at the moment, if you watch Sky Sports, it's huge about Raheem Sterling, Danny Rose. Racism is... is Mm. Really yeah. at the forefront at yeah, the moment in football, yeah. In in football, in cycling, as per usual, you know, no one gives a crap about mental health in cycling. No one gives a crap about the demographic in in culture in cycling. Yeah. I would say it's probably what like one percent. Yeah, if that, <laughs> if that, yeah. Mm. yeah. You know, even harking back to sort of when I turned pro in in eighty nine, um, I think the only black cyclist was a guy. Um, who who actually was very good, Russell Williams. He rode for a couple of um, domestic British teams, rode a lot on the track. But he, you know, he literally was the only mm. black rider. And the poor bugger used to get, you know, a lot of abuse. And he used mm. to take it on the chin, but he 
you really shouldn't have had to take it on the chin. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, strange I, one. It is. It is. Um, it's a good point. I don't get it. I'm scratching my head trying to think why. You know, yeah, you got to buy a bike, but you know, there's 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 obviously a stigma there, or there's obviously a a a barrier for entry. Yeah. Mm. What it what it is, I don't know. Maybe it's just that they don't have role models. I don't like know. an Amir Khan who might have. Yeah. Or a um, yeah I, yeah I get that. Yeah, and I guess it's important to point out that's not just cycling, is it? No, there, there no, are barriers for not, yeah. people from an ethnic minority background in all aspects of life. Yeah. This is the Yorkshire Grit podcast. Anyway, look, yeah. let's hear about you being a badass on the bike and being powerful yes. as fuck because I've heard some <laughs> ridiculous stories <laughs> about you breaking cranks oh. and knocking the hell out of people. Come on, tell us. Yeah, t- tell us how that develops. T- yeah, yeah, come on. Tell us, you know, this 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 power, this raw. Oh, mate, it's Did you always have it? Yeah, yeah. Ever, Serious. Yeah. I I was known for love that sort of, you know, powerful riding. I'm a I'm a pretty chunky bloke, you know, even Not even wrong with that. Said, no, exactly. Yeah, mm-hmm. you wear it well, Tommy. <laughs> but, you know, it's sort of it manifests itself from yeah. from being, you know, sort of larger. Um, which is and we've spoke about with Charlie predominantly a big no-no. Yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah. or seem to be. Seems, yeah. Yeah. In cycling, <sighs> yeah, it used to. You know, you did, go, did that go back. Did that ever get to you? Oh yeah, yeah. It, it basically, gave me an eating disorder. Um, and <laughs> you know, this is the beauty of these podcasts: is everything seems to interweave. Okay. You know, you, yeah. You've spoken to Charlie about you know body dysmorphia and things like that. Well, you know, eating disorders. Etc. Etc. Mental health, everything is meshed. But yeah, going you know going back to Dr. Tom's point there was, I was that powerful rider. I, I had that bigger build, and yeah, that that sort of power and, and the ability to to use it just I, I guess came from sport when I was young, growing mm. up in Africa. As I said, at, at altitude, so you develop the big lungs and you know the high VO two. You know, it was measured at some ridiculous 90.1 or something like that. What, when you were yeah, young when I lad? Was, no, 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 when I was, you know, at top form. And is that, um, I, I, I know about power, but yeah, I so, don't know about VO2. Oh, VO2. Can you explain that for people who might not necessarily? Um, in yeah, an, me. In, <laughs> yeah, 90% of the people. <laughs> yeah. In a nutshell, it's it's basically how you use your, your oxygen. So, you know, it's sort of. Every every single piece of oxygen in you gets used. Um, your average person on the street probably uses fifty percent of their oxygen. So you take a nice deep breath. Only fifty percent of that is getting through, you know, and used. You know, an, an elite athlete probably seventy five to eighty percent, and then you've got freaks that are you know eighty to hundred. Mm. Um, and you were ninety. Ninety point one was the highest. You know, I've I've had eighty six, seven, eighty eight, and then ninety. Um, so, you know, freakishly talented or freakishly gifted that way. Mm. Um, and yeah, I mean, if you've got it, you use it, don't you? Yeah. yeah. You know, was um, that, was, was, was your style always based on power then even from the early days? Yeah, pretty much. Um, I was also renowned for spinning gears. You know, I could, I could sit at a very high cadence. Mm -hmm. Um, I use smaller gears than most people. You know, harking back to Charlie again, you know, the team pursuiters at the moment are using, you know, around about the 118 to 120 inch gear. You know, I used to pursue on 90 at massively high RPMs. Mm. Um, well, like over 100 RPM or something? Oh, well over, Tommy. Yeah, oh, well over, mate. I couldn't do that. 
It's it, it's just something. It's I more was efficient, though, with. isn't it? It's more efficient. Is it? I don't know. I think it's just as far as I can tell, and you know, sort of. I I never got to the stage where we were suiting on 120 inch gears, but we were latterly using bigger gears um, on the British squad, and we were you know sort of riding 98s, hundreds, hundred and twos, and I always felt more efficacious on sort of the lower gears. Mm. That's the geek time. Over. <laughs> yeah. No, I love that. Love a bit of geekery. Didn't understand all of it, but I love all the geekery. I don't know. Um, when when was there was there was there a particular moment or period of time when you thought this is it? Like I'm making it. I'm gonna you know head to the worlds. You know it's it's happening. Yeah, I I was selected um, very young. There were two two sixteen year olds uh, in 1985 selected for the. Senior World Championships in Bassano do Grappa, Italy. Mm. Um, one of them was Chris Baldwin. The other one was myself. Okay, um, nice. So at you know at the tender age of sixteen, th- th- that's that's relatively young, right? Yeah, that's yeah. like prodigy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah? yeah. Okay. I, as far as I know, you know, you've got Pidcock, you've got myself, you've got Baldwin. I don't know of any others sort of that prodigiously talented at mm. sixteen. Yep. I came through, Chris sort of plateaued, didn't really take it through. And the next year, again, was a selection uh, and Commonwealth Games at Edinburgh. Mm. Um, and getting silver there, 17 years of age. Um, you did? Yeah. In the individual yeah. pursuit? Yeah. You know, British record, just, you know, it, it, it sort of, the penny dropped. And then you were like, this is me now. Yeah. This is my life. Yeah. It's got to be. I'm full in. I'm, we're yeah, fully in. obsessed. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. What, what was it like for a 16, 17-year-old lad to go through that? That's mind-blowing. You know, 16, 17, I don't know, I was at school just, you know, playing yeah. video games. <laughs> I was being a little bastard. <laughs> <laughs> um, you don't know any different, do you? That's the thing, is is if that's all you've done. Mm. Um, no, but the celebration and the, could you appreciate what you'd done? Or was it like, next? No, uh, you've, yeah, that's that's actually quite pertinent. Um, because, yeah. Uh, I'm going through counselling. Keep on saying this. <laughs> but it's a bit of a journey, isn't it? It's quite, it's all relevant. Yeah. I really struggled to celebrate yep. achievements. I did a 100 mile the other day, coast to coast. <sighs> Couldn't care less. You know, getting a house, hopefully in two days time, not really that bothered. Mm. Yeah. And apparently it's because I've still got so much pain. It blinds the, it, it, you know, it stops you from, yeah. Was is, is that something you can? Yeah, I, can, I totally relate to that. It's awful, isn't it? It is, and you start to you start to foster ideas of self doubt, and and you know then that doubt turns into loathing, and you know it, it's just a downward spiral. Mm. I remember after winning the world championships. Now that should be the happiest day of your life. I remember going back to my hotel room, and and sort of sitting there thinking, God, right, okay, um, God, I got to defend this next year. Oh, mm. really? Yeah. So immediately you were thinking you couldn't yeah. enjoy it. You were just thinking no, about defending it. The pressure it. of that. Yeah, and go down go down to the hotel foyer to the bar and celebrate with a bottle of champagne with you know the, the rest of the team and and whatever and then bedtime thinking geez where next what next uh, and mm. you know i'm not saying i should have been out cocaine and hookers but you know you should have been enjoying it more and i didn't um and that's that's you know that's been sort of the history of my life really beating yourself yeah. up or, or, oh, or yeah. oh yeah massively yeah. yeah massively why do we do this i i wish i knew Tom, what, Tom? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) 
Why? So many reasons. It's really starting to fucking piss me off now. I think one of the, I'll draw my own experience as well, but I think it's it's almost as though you can't allow yourself to to enjoy it. Partly maybe because you feel like you're not worth it. Partly because you're driven to achieve, do the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. I think it is different for different people as well. Just being with someone this weekend, had a really great weekend. And the mum, her mum, straight away, ah, oh, it's only a small house. Oh, this, well, I've got it's cheap. Ah, uh, oh, this, I've just rustled it up. It's, 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 it's nothing, it's only from like the shop. And then we've got talking and, and this was a theme. And mm. uh, she said, mum, do you know you're always, do, do you know you're always putting yourself down? Um, I said, I said, you know, why, you know, why do we do that? Why? I've only just met you, but straight at, no, not you, Colin. <laughs> <laughs> Pointing off into the distance. It's a very British thing. I, I, that is, you know, yeah. and, and, and she yeah. said, I've always done it. It's I've, a very British thing. It's a cultural layer lovely. to that. She's great. She was absolutely amazing person. But I kind of like thought, yeah, yeah I'd probably do the same thing. Is just it, to put yourself down in front of a stranger. <laughs> Yeah, and we all do it, don't we? We all yeah. do it. Yeah, self-deprecating like, self all the time. If I said to you, "You're looking really well, mate," what would you say? Oh, well, oh, I'm a bit fat, and yeah, know, yeah, you're, yeah, this yeah. old thing. Oh, you know, yeah, 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 yeah. We can't um, take a compliment, can we? Well, yeah. some people can. Obviously, you know, we're just talking generalizations, but it's it, it's quite bizarre. And and I also don't judge the people that can just chill out on a Sunday or a Saturday anymore. I used to think. <laughs> Where's you get up and go? Don't you want to like do this and, and do that and do a bike ride? And, yeah. Because I used to think that they were either down or lazy or no ambition. And now I go, no, because they're really fucking content. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I've, they're, le I've learned that over the years. Yeah, that, they're they're the ones, not that it's about winning. They're the ones that have got it sussed. Who can just have one of those days on the sofa. This goes back to... What's wrong with that? goes back to the very first episode, doesn't it, with Johnny Brownlee. We're talking about masculine norms and that drive to compete and to win. Yeah. Not, it's not exclusively a male thing, absolutely not. But um, it's definitely a part of being a man or a narrative about being a man that you go to the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. It's only recently that I've been able to, like this weekend, just go and sit down for a couple of days, chill out, watch films and cook. That's all I did without beating myself up. Yeah. You see, I wish I, I, I wish I could find that contentment or that, that place because even now at the age of 50, I'm beating myself up about yesterday. You know, I'm, 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 I'm apologising. Shut up because that was just unreal. That was just unreal. And, but, if you'd, and, if you'd, and if you'd eaten, you'd be... Well, I'd get round. Yeah. <laughs> Not that that means anything to you. You know, you'd have beaten yourself up about that. Yeah. Wouldn't yeah. you? Yeah. yeah. If you'd have got around yesterday and you were here, oh, let's see if you'd done really well and you got on the break for a bit. And you had a bit of TV time, you know. It's it's. What's that book you told me? The Hooks Huxley. Um, oh, Brave New World. Yeah, I tried to buy that the other day, but I couldn't Did find you? it. Oh, you couldn't find it, really? Couldn't oh, it's everywhere. It. Is it? It's classic. Yeah. Um, the happiness. What's that? Thing it takes soma. Soma. Yeah, <laughs> which is yeah. a drug that just makes you constantly happy. And then what happens when you keep on taking it? Well, then you just plateau, don't you? Yeah. So I thought about that. You can't be happy all the time. No. But if you're not happy, then that doesn't necessarily mean you have to be unhappy no you can be content you can be content or in the middle you know so maybe we yeah. just struggle with being with averageness yeah yeah I'd say that <sighs> nothing fills me with more dread than if someone said to me like what have you done this week and i went i didn't really do much i used to really frown upon those people yeah but it's always one thing or the other isn't it you never say to somebody oh tommy you're looking average mate you always say oh, mate you're looking you're looking rough as guts or Oh mate, you're looking a million bucks. You really True. look good. True. Yeah. 
you never get just go, yeah, nice one, average. <laughs> so, yeah, just looking all right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, decent. The Yorkshire Grit Podcast with Tommy Bustard. Colin, fantastic. This is really great stuff. Fantastic about the worlds, all these achievements, your process, your story. Unfortunately, it hasn't always been plain sailing for you. And it hasn't always been a bed of roses. Do you want to kind of, in your own way, tell us a little bit of the uh, the negatives? Yeah. I if mean, you can call it that. Yeah, they are negatives. They are. Um, you know, they impact not, not negatively great. on your life. No, exactly. <laughs> not everything's um, Instagram. <laughs> no, thank God. Mate, it's... Yeah, going back, you know, going back to those days as as a young pro, you know, I was young. I was the youngest pro in the world at 20 um, for a year. And then obviously, you know, you sort of step up and you start to think you're going to move on, you're going to progress, which I like to think I did. You know, I didn't win monuments. I didn't win massive races, but I won races and I was a good professional. Mm. Um, You know, there's always been that undercurrent of, of depression there, I feel anyway. And it just wasn't talked about, you know. There was nobody in the team that I could go and say, "Geez, you know, I've, I've, I've really been struggling this week." You know, mm. I'm, I'm living in a studio apartment in in St Nicholas in Belgium, and you know, sort of, I'm training by myself, and we don't have internet, we don't have mobile phones, so I'm reliant on newspapers, I'm reliant on books, and I'm reliant on a bloody telephone from you know, the seventies here, and I'm not doing well. I didn't have anybody to talk to, mm. so. You know, you sort of pick up the phone and you ring your parents. That, that's that's good. Mm-hmm. But sometimes you need a third party. You need that person. I was very fortunate, latterly, sort of um, got to know an American pro, Joe Parkin, pretty well. And, you know, we could we could talk. We'd talk bikes and we'd talk music and we'd talk skateboarding, but mm-hmm. we'd also talk life. And then that started to help. But I did find the loneliness sort of really impacted on, on you know, my life negatively. Um those depressive episodes got got sort of worse, deeper, what, longer. What did the sort of depression look like to you? What was happening? Um, it was just days on end where I, I just I, I couldn't see the point of going on, um, mm. and you know, going on with cycling. But at times, also just thinking, well, you know, it's it's eight stories high this flat. You know, it's like mm. you know, if things got too bad, I could just take a running jump and. Two or three days later, you think, oh, why, why on earth do I feel that? You know, here I am in, in Paris, Nice, and things are things are great. Yeah. You know, but um, back then it, it it wasn't talked about. You know, it was it was just considered weakness. Mm. I remember ringing my DS up and saying, "Well, a little story around a story here, if you will." I sort of my third year pro with Tulip Computers in 1991, I got selected for the Grand Prix Eddy Mercs, which is a selection only or invite only time trial around Brussels mm. and I put myself in such a tizzy about like trying to top five in this event that I, I actually made myself quite ill and I rang with my DS and just said look I'm ill um, and you know I, I, I'm really nervous about this and I want to do my best because you know I, I need a contract for next year and blah 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 mm. and you know it was like you're weak you know you, you've got to be strong yeah and it's like well yeah. Yeah, I bloody know that, mate. But, <laughs> I, you know, it's, tell me something I don't know. Yeah. Um, you know, but I, I just need—I just need need something. I didn't have it. No, but I don't think it was just me. Mm. So, so you were sort of physically isolated being in the studio flat, but also, I guess, emotionally isolated because yeah. you couldn't 
talk to people or when you did yeah it just turned out like that yeah how, yeah. how long were you there for um three years were you, were you drinking um yeah i mean i did i used to take six weeks off every <laughs> it sounds silly six weeks off every season to prepare for the world championships and i never touched a drop of alcohol in that but mm. you know sort of back then you'd go to races and there'd be a bottle of red in the, in the table um, you know, at, at the evening meal. And it was absolutely fine for riders to have a glass of wine. Mm -hmm. um, my my problems came in that one turned into two. Um, and particularly when I get back to the flat and things like that, you know, there's always beer in the fridge and yeah. you'd have a snappy beer after work or, you know, after training, sorry. But, yeah, not not heavily, not, la you know, latterly, I, 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 you know, I struggled with alcohol um, massively. But... Back then, you know, as a pro, you, you can't because it's just so deleterious to your performance. Mm. But, yeah, I mean, you know, going back to the depression thing again, mm -hmm. you know, the alcohol only, you know, makes that worse. So, you know, I, I did avoid that. There's, you know, it's not all doom and gloom. What happened next with your career then, Colin? So in 1992, I didn't secure um, a contract in Europe and I was going to go to the States and race and that fell through too. So I ended up riding for a small South African team. How uh, old were you then? 23 it's a, fickle, wow. it's a fickle sport I know, it? I know it's just so shit. You, you know you, you win a national title you win races you win bike races you win you know you break world records you win medals left right and center and still can't get a contract um but that you know that was racing in the 80s and 90s it would all be different now and you're racing for you know back then you were racing for like a pittance in, com in comparison mm. but i went to this south african team that fell flat and i just basically just threw in the towel. I was just, I was so disillusioned with everything. You were done. Yeah. My morale was just so low. I remember riding my last ever race. I was riding 10 mile time trial out near Lincoln and I just sat up. I was probably winning and I just sat up and just thought, that's it. I cannot be, I just, I, I hate this. I hate this about myself feeling this way. Yeah. But I hate that two years ago, this would have been, you know, a world tour race and now I'm riding a, 10 outside Lincoln and you know that was it that was the last time I touched my bike I applied to a couple of universities and I went to university had three or four years you know sort yeah. of studying and what do you um, study I started out doing uh, a joint honours degree at Loughborough so I did uh, sports science in English mm. uh, and then after two years I changed to straight English um, so yeah I have a Bachelor of Arts in English literature now great but did you beat yourself up that you you didn't love it anymore, and were you bitter? Oh, very bitter. Yeah, I didn't. You know, I didn't want anything to do with the sport. Um, I rode my bike a bit, it, but did you feel like it was too big a thing of your life just to get over? And, and were you like, this is going to take a long time to kind of get no, through? No, no. Uh, and I think this is the bipolar. It's it's all or nothing. So it was, you know, bike, 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 doing everything. Right, screw this university live university life to the fullest mm. you know right got that tick that off right what am i going to do now right move to oz um right let's throw myself in you know sort of australian lifestyle um what, what, get a job as a journalist what made you move there my partner at the time was australian um okay. so i've been married twice both australian girls women sorry didn't mean to be degrading but yeah so we moved back to sydney got a job as a journo but it was quite fortuitous that the magazine I worked for was cycling based um, mm. and I sort of started doing product reviews and you know sort of right. oh right there's a, there's a bright shiny bike I'll take that out and 
So in, in that time, sort of between finishing and then going to Australia and being a journalist, what was your relationship like with cycling? Awful. I, I, I yeah, I, I I refused to watch, you know, watch it on television. Um, yeah. I remember, um, and absolutely no disrespect meant to Chris Boardman, but I remember watching the '92 Olympics where he won, mm. and just staring at it with daggers in my eyes, thinking, "Oh my, yeah. you know, fuck me." That should have been me. That should have been me. And I take, you know, that's a horrible, horrible thing to say. You know, I mean, you should be full of congratulations for another person's achievements. No, but I you, couldn't. No, no, you shouldn't. No, because you've been through such a. No, that's completely normal, mate. <laughs> I'd be the exact same. Yeah, but anyone would. But isn't it? You know, isn't it awful that we we do that? We we almost don't want to be happy for somebody else's yep. achievements or happiness because we're not happy ourselves. I find that. Mm. I find that that manifests more in cycling than like a team sport. Like for instance, Liverpool, mm -hmm. the, you can see they're all generally sacrificing themselves for each other. And I mean, they score, but it's team sport. Is cycling a team sport? Uh, part of it is, yeah. I, I, or do you think everyone's you know. like, because like, contracts are so hard to get and it is quite cutthroat. There's always that element of... You know, you're not oh. always a hundred percent happy for someone. I, absolutely, and I don't want to come across yeah. as a bitter narcissist. I'm, I don't think you are. I'm not <laughs> being I'm, realistic. I'm being realistic because mm. I've seen it. I was never at your standard, but I remember winning race, like not as good as you. But I remember, remember winning races, and I've got good mates. They wouldn't come up to you afterwards and go, "Well done." They'd almost not want yeah. to see you in the car park after because you yeah. feel like ten men. Yeah, fuck's all that about. I know. Weird, <laughs> isn't it? Then you go and do CrossFit awesome. and people are tapping you on the back for finishing yeah, last. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know. <laughs> so you got yeah. you got to Australia, yep. you're working as a journalist for yep. Cycling Weekly. Yep. Then what? Um just got the bug again. Yeah. Um to the to the point of uh, a British team manager ringing me up and saying, Do you want to come back and race? Oh. And, um I got I got on the um, New South Wales Institute of Sports squad. Uh, started racing on the track again. Got involved with Gary Sutton and the young sort of crop of team pursuitors. So you still had it. So I still had it. Yeah, how, yeah it was how there. Old now? How old? Uh, I was so. Uh, what am I? Twenty three, twenty eight, twenty seven, twenty eight. God, as you tell that story, I, I just picture you being older at that yeah. point. You know, <laughs> you've done so much. Yeah, yeah but you know, th then I, I really did start seeing. You know, the whole point of this is to talk about you know, our mental health and, and, and whatever. But it's it's in that period of time that I start looking at going, oh, yeah, you know, the volatility of the the manic phase of mm. bipolar, I started really noticing it. Uh, and you don't at the time. Well, you kind of do. You are insightful. Well, I was insightful enough to realise mm -hmm. that something wasn't right. But it's it's weird, you know. Um, go to the Commonwealth Games, my second Commonwealth Games, and end up having a almost a fist fight in the in the track center throwing my bike at one of my teammates Paul mm. Matt Lingworth you know we'll laugh about it now um but at the time you know that that was just pure it wasn't you know sort of a, a racing incident we're mm. on the same bloody team it it was just pure bipolar you know it was the wrong thing to say to me at that time and snap you know it was it was horrible to see what what else was happening to you in those phases just a lot of silly things like, you know, going and, and, and doing massive miles on, on no food because, you know, I sort of I had this thing in my head that, you know, oh, Sturgis, he's fat, or, you know, he's always been a heavy rider. So I wanted to prove that, you know, I could get my weight right down. So I'd go mm. and do five or six hours just on, on nothing but coffee and aspirin. And then, you know, a bowl of soup at night, fizzy water, 
sleeping tablets, boom, out. Mm. Um, not sustainable. No, no. And, and not just bad for your health, but bad for your mental health. You know, you, you end up but sleeping how long, badly. How long can you do that? For a week? Oh, mate, I did it for months on end, yeah. you know. just And not crack? No, no. That's, that is the thing, you know. And, yeah, my weight did come down and, you know, whatever. But what, the flip side of that was I lost that power that we were mm. talking about earlier. Mm. Um, but also, yeah. you know, sort of my relationship with my wife, that was, that was teetering and, and mm. you know, sort of that went from good to bad and, you know, it was great. And then, yeah, it's just, you know, the, you just drive yourself so hard because you, you're given a second chance. You know, I saw this very much as a second chance and I didn't want to fuck it up. I wanted to make it. And I went that step further because all these people have been saying, oh, you know, he's got, he's got issues. He's got this, that and the other. Well, yeah, okay, fine. Mm. I did have issues and I, I was a bigger rider and blah, blah, blah. But I wanted to prove them wrong, you know, and yep. that, that was like, right, I'm going to starve myself. I'm going to do six hour rides on mm. coffee and aspirin and, what happened? Just, you can't have then, been that depressed if you're sorry. doing six-hour rides, by the way. Well, probably not. I mean, because that's when you when you really fall out of love with cycling, the thought of being out in the middle of nowhere, yeah, it's grim. Yeah, it was in Australia, mate. It's beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, Colin. I cut no, you off. I was just right. going to say what happened then. <laughs> um, so you know, as as Tommy's used that word sustainable, it wasn't sustainable in the long run. Um, I injured myself in '99. I had the entire well, I actually I had a really good beginning of the season. I rode Lankawi, um, I rode Bay Series, I rode Tour Down Under and had good form. I mm. then injured myself in, in Lankawi, ended up with a prolapse disc. That sent me into, you know, a spiral. Um, not I just couldn't physically ride my bike, which then just manifests itself as, you know, sort of feeling depressed because you're not doing that that physical sure. thing. And then the rebuild for 2000, which was the Olympic year, and all the time at the back of the head, you you know something's not right. You, you know, I've used the word before. You know, sort of this insight into your own malady was there, and I knew something wasn't right, but I didn't know what it was, and I didn't have. I don't know if it's the guts or I didn't have the um, courage to put my hand in the air and say, I, "I'm really struggling. I I don't know what it mm. is." So again the manic phase kicks in and I walked off the national squad after a, a 2000 Olympic selection. You know, shortlist was out, here it is. Rob Hales, Chris Newton, Colin Sturgis, um, Matt Ellingworth had actually already walked off the squad as well then. But, you know, Brad Wiggins, blah, blah, blah. And I walked off the squad, literally, that day. I drove back from Manchester Velodrome and... Why? How come? What, what, I, why? Mate, I just, I just had a gutful of... of you know, sort of internal politics at BC, and mm. I felt, and you know, I'm, I've said this in other podcasts, I've said it in interview. I felt I was being unfairly treated, but I also now recognise that you know a lot of my bipolar nature was was a bit of paranoia about being treated unfairly because mm -hmm. um, yeah. in the cold light of day. You know, a lot of what BC had said w was true, but I perceived it completely differently. Mm. You know, I'd done times in Australia that I thought should be recognised and they wanted them done in England and said that I hadn't done them. And all this is just building stress, building stress, building stress. And then you crack. A normal person would go, 
right, let's settle this, let's sit down, let's do this mm. sensibly, let's talk, no. And also you're in an environment where before you hadn't been listened to or you'd been sort of shut down when you'd raised it. Yeah, I, I hadn't thought of that. Mm. But yeah, um, yeah, that's very true, Tom. So this is where, you know, sort of, and I guess it's a nice segue into sort of the latter part of my life. I walk off the squad, uh, I buy a plane ticket for my wife and I back to Sydney. Um, I run a mock for six months, partying, mm. um, being an absolute asshole, um, but having a you know having a wild old time. Yeah, you know we'd have spends day, which was Wednesday, so you'd go out and you'd go shopping, you'd buy three hundred dollar jeans, and you know run a mock, uh, and then you'd have thirst day, obviously Thursday, mm. where you know you'd work the morning at the bike shop, and then straight down the Paddington Arms, a um, couple of cheeky lines of coke, and yep. drink champagne all afternoon. Yeah. Um, not sustainable uh, and certainly not sustainable in a relationship so my poor wife was you know sort of well having to deal with that as well having to deal with a, a really quite floridly psychotic husband yeah. um, that was just running amok so we decided to get out of Sydney but I um, go out drinking and you know, yeah but this is you know this but, is but, all or nothing Tommy it's it's like I, I do things to extremes you know it's like I, I could I smoked for six years when I, when I quit cycling, I smoked for six years, pack a day, 30 a day. Mm. And then one day just decided, you know what, enough is enough. I'm going to ring a psychotherapist because it's going to cost me 80 quid. So I've got to make this work. I walked in, chucked cigarettes on his desk and said, there you go, mate. And walked out of there. I've never touched another mm. cigarette. Well, sneaking so, one here and there. but So you are, yeah, okay. So uh, it's all yeah. or nothing. And I don't mean that in a way unlucky for you, pointing the finger going, mm. ha, 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 I'm better. I think maybe I do have a bit more of a uh, handle on my vices. Yeah. They are there. Yeah. I know they're there. Yeah. I've, you know, I have come to moderate things and I read signs very well now. And, you know, I still struggle with certain things, which we'll come to in a moment. But, um, yeah, so, you know, I've, I've basically taken myself out of that situation by moving into an area of, um, New South Wales called the Hunter Valley, which mm -hmm. is famed for its wines. I'd always had a bit of an interest in wine and winemaking. Why not? Why not? Indeed. <laughs> boom, boom. <laughs> You've been Tommy Buston, he's here you? all week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> How long have we been here for? <laughs> <laughs> and um, yeah, we, uh, my wife and I found this beautiful old rundown cottage farmhouse up in the vineyards in a secluded little valley and, mm. you know, a little fruit orchard of a few acres and some vines and it was just idyllic so we bought it um where are you getting all this money from working my ass off doing about three jobs in sydney were you yeah i mean we had we had some savings not a great deal um my wife was um quite high up in occupational therapy mm -hmm. um so you know we had yeah. decent income but yep. you know i wouldn't say we were rolling in it by any means um and it wasn't an expensive place to buy you know, you're looking at about two hundred and fifty thousand dollars. So it's 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 a lot of money, but it's it's achievable. I was going to say all this partying and stuff. I was like, well, that's yeah. it. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, you know, you you end up flogging bike kit. You end up, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we've all been there. Yeah, you, you want to find as any addict you, will know, you'll, if, you'll find it. Yeah, exactly. I'm guessing the vineyard then was a blessing and a curse. <laughs> You've got it. In one. <laughs> you have it in one. Yeah. So get myself, you know, sort of well immersed into the wine industry up there, but. The downside of that is, of course, it's a ma and it's Australia. You know, it's a massive drinking culture. Yeah. You you go to the winery, you make wine all day. You're sampling, you're tasting. Even though you're spitting wine out, 
you know, the mucous membrane sucks up the alcohol. Mm. You know, you, you probably have two or three glasses of wine without even knowing it because you're tasting it all the time. And then at three o'clock in the afternoon, you start really early. You start at 5 a.m. You know, three o'clock in the afternoon, day's upright, sit around having a couple of Cooper's sparkling ales and, you know, two leads to three, leads to four. You go home, bottle of wine with dinner. You know, all of a sudden, you're doing that five times a week, six yeah. times a week. You're doing it yeah. seven times a week. You know, a big one on Friday afternoon. And this is just increasing the pressure on the relationship. It's it's leading to me making really rash and poor decisions and the the mental health is, is going south, basically. Mm. I get that. Yeah. And it was shortly after uh, my son was born in 2001 that my wife came home from work one day and basically just said, I'm going, I'm taking Jess, and gone. Wow. Um, and that just, that spanned me out, you know, I... I I, I didn't know what to do. I, nobody does. What right. do you yeah, do? Yeah, what do you do? <laughs> you know, so I guess my, my answer to that was drink heavily, <laughs> um, even more heavily, mm. um, to, to the point that I took my car up to the top of a mountain, um, a lot of dirt roads around um, the Hunter Valley. Mm-hmm. Had um, Well, I'd been drinking all day, stopped, bought a bottle of vodka, cheeky bag of cocaine uh, and just sat at the top of this hill and trying to drink myself into oblivion um, and then decided oh, fuck it I'll just drive home um, dirt roads and then I got to there's a certain corner on this on this hill and I just thought that's a big ravine and just floored it um, and yeah just um, I remember waking up in the, in a field broken ribs um, mm. just my car was nowhere to be seen what? and uh, yeah it took me a while to admit it you know I, I, I basically had tried to kill myself yeah. I'd um, driven the car off you know this this embankment and it was it was a fair embankment um, and I think if I'm honest and this this is no you know sort of um, not condoning seatbelt use or not mm. but the thing that saved me was I was that out of it. I hadn't put my seatbelt on and the car flipped and it flipped me out of the high side and like missed me by inches as it came back down um, and disappeared into the bush. Um, So did you you just wake up? Yeah, yeah. I was just like, oh God, you know. And how did you get, how did you get, what? Somebody had seen some lights. Um, There was a family, the Matthews family had had a vineyard at the very top of this mountain and they'd seen lights just in a field um, and had come down about half an hour later to have a look and had found me sort of wandering around um, and yeah so ambulance um, hospital overnight and then basically into psychiatric hospital for two weeks which um, was Shit. a blessing well it was um, I'm not going to lie um, but it was a blessing because it made me sit up and realise, you know, oh shit, mm. things have things have got really bad. It, uh, yeah, I mean, Tom will know. You 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 work in psychiatry, and it's some people take really well to it, others don't. Um, mm-hmm. And for me, it worked. You know, I I had to go on the medication. I'd been on antidepressants, but they changed that, and 
you know, they put me on antipsychotics and stuff more akin to bipolar. Um, and the thing that worked for me, and it doesn't work for everyone, uh, and we were we were talking about this off off mic yeah. earlier, was, you know, Tommy's going through counselling and his counsellor doesn't work for him at the moment. Um, you know, the, the, the style of the guy is yeah. not for Tommy. I was lucky enough to find somebody that I could talk to and really engage with and that helped me. One of the things this person said was, you know, don't let this define you. Mm. You know, this doesn't define you. This does not define the rest of your life. Yes, you may be bipolar. You're never going to get rid of it. It's moderating it. Mm -hmm. However, this does not yeah. define you. That's not you. You are Colin. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, and I've taken that with me. And, you know, I have I have had relapses and, and things have gone, you know, even worse for me. My second relationship um, was just horrendous as well. That That ended up very, very messy divorce and very acrimonious. It's, you know, it's better now. Um, but you know, it got to the stage where I lost jobs because of because of the bipolar, because of the drinking, because of my lifestyle. Um, ended up, you know, literally homeless. Um, first of all, it was living in backpackers, and then when I couldn't afford that, it was living in a tent. And then it was a case of, well, that's not sustainable. In winter, sleep in the car, and you know, it, <laughs> it, it's it's such a a downward spiral and. You can't afford your meds, so you don't take them. And yeah, I mean, I was I was rock bottom, mm. um, and I was very very fortunate enough that a friend alerted my parents to the fact that you know I was destitute, um, and they bought me a ticket back to the UK. So um, they brought you back to Leicester. They brought me back to Leicester, back yeah. to the family brought, home. Brought you back to life. Yeah. Well, yeah. In many ways, um, I had awful years where I was on very heavy psychiatric drugs after that obviously um which just they were horrendous absolutely mm. horrendous um but the one good thing that has come out of it is you know i no longer self-harm um you two can probably see the backs of my hands are covered in cigarette burns mm -hmm. um i've got cuts all over my stomach because you know i deem myself too fat so i'd cut mm. like to the point of stitches um and you know, the the alcohol abuse is a form of self-harm. Of course You know, you, you yeah. know yeah. it's doing you harm and yeah. you yeah. know, like, the amount you drink. Well, you know, you are going to hurt yourself badly. Um, and it's all it's all interlinked, you know. it's You have a look at the, the, the literature on bipolar um, and, you know, the, 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 I guess the rate of parasuicidality and, and mm -hmm. Especially in young men, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's so high. Um, so there must have been something in you that said nah yeah I think there's, a, there's an inherent almost fighter yeah yeah there is there is a fighter in I me I ain't giving up here no, no. Mm -hmm. um, and I still get dark days you know everybody does I realise this I still get very dark days but I know what to do now and that's not reach for a bowl and it's not to reach for a sharp knife or a razor blade or a cigarette to burn mm -hmm. myself um, what do you do now um, I ride my bike again. Yeah. I ride my bike. I ride it hard. Um, a lot of the lads around Leicester hate me because I half-wheel the shit out of them. <laughs> or at least try. Fuck them. Yeah. Because <laughs> they, they don't know your journey, do they? No, they do. I've got some really good friends. Mm -hmm. um, 
you know, it's sort of I'm I'm on mic here talking about this today, and I speak to my mate Rob or Tommy. You know Rob. No Rob, Doctor Tom. Guy. You don't, but he is a lovely, lovely guy. Great guy, Rob. Yeah, and massive respect for the mum. He's got you know an ear and a shoulder there, yeah. and I know he's got my back. I've got another mate, Matt Sinclair. He's he's the angriest man going, but he's he's caring as well, and he hate me for saying that. <laughs> he's there, you know, and there's a good group, you know. There's but hang on, it's so you have a bad day or let's say you get some bad news yep. and it's right i even want to get a bag i want to get a bottle yeah whatever for you to be to have that mental strength to go no i'm gonna go on the bike that's not something you can just do straight away because the easier option is to go down oh absolutely yeah no it's you know it, when possible it's go out on the bike you know so last year i worked as a ds for madison genesis and Things were quite stressful, you know. It's it's yeah. Britain's premier professional cycling team. Of course, it is. Yeah, mm. you know, with, you had with some the great, you had some Sky. great success as well. Yeah, we did. You know, uh, it, we were we were the number one domestic team. Con Connor Swift won the Connor national champions. Unbelievable. Yeah, you know, it was it was a fantastic atmosphere, and unfortunately, you know, it, it didn't work out for me, and I was getting majorly stressed, and I could see the signs. In the end, after the Tour of Britain, I resigned. Um, whether or not it was the right thing to do, I don't know. But mm. I just thought, no, I can't do this. I cannot do this to the team. I can't do this to myself. I've got to get out. So I went travelling. I packed a bag. Basically went six weeks around Vietnam, Cambodia, Laos, um, and had a complete break from cycling. Mm. Didn't and go for heroin, did you? <laughs> Jesus, not there, mate. No, Christ. Uh, I got, got to- <laughs> I got off. I got offered some. Um, I got offered. Bloody marijuana outside the um, presidential palace in uh, Phnom Penh, and I was like, "The presidential oh, strain, right? <laughs> if we get like, caught here, yeah." And um, that's unreal. It's just like, "Oh no, you can't! Uh, not over there, Jesus!" <laughs> but you know, sort of, I went overseas, and yeah. that was fantastic. You know, immerse yourself in a culture that mm. you know nothing of. Um, I find it really interesting just to go back to the fact you cycle now again as a way of of sort of helping or coping with how you're feeling. Do, do you still have that sort of all or nothing relationship or is it a bit more balanced now? Or? It is a little bit more balanced. The, 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 the point of saying about the Vietnam trip was I came back oh, okay. quite overweight. <laughs> because cut my question. No, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> um, and I'd put on a lot of weight okay. um, because of the beer drinking in, in, in Southeast Asia, it's, you know, 50 US cents a beer and it's ice cold. So it's, it's cheaper than bottled water. Mm. Um, not that we should be drinking bottled water, people. But uh, the point of it was I came back quite overweight. Um, so I used up the last of my savings, basically, to rent a place in Calpe with Rob. And we got a few people in mm. and sort of split the bills and stuff like that. And I trained. And I trained really hard. So I went from nothing at, you know, 93 kilograms. Two months in Calpe, riding my bike every day. Came back, you know, back on it, racing. Yeah. You know, I sit now at just under 80 kilos. So it's this all or nothing again. Mm. So, yeah, spot on, Tom. Yeah. Colin, that was unbelievable. Yeah. Um, yeah, I found it quite hard to listen to because I can see a little bit of myself in you. Maybe you can see a little bit in, in me. And I kind of, while you were saying that, I kind of just wanted you to put your arm around me or shake me and go, you're going to be all right. You, you know, you're going to do this. It's not, you know, you can get through this, mate. So, yeah, no, that was like, it's good to know that, you know, like just picking you up today, I was like, oh, this guy looks fucking great, you know, he's just fucking <laughs> tan. 
And then you just said to me, just you know, you 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 feel a bit hungover or whatever. It's like you don't know what's going on in someone. You just don't know, do you? No, no. you don't. You don't at all. It's so, uh, yeah. Colin, you were saying you're doing some coaching now. Yeah, yeah. What's uh, that like? Yeah, it's good. I I enjoy it. Um, I sort of work for a company called Dig Deep Coaching, which is um, two two ex bike riders, um, Dan Fleeman and Stephen Gallagher, mm-hmm. and I don't do as much as I I could. Um, I had to take a back step um, DSing at Madison last mm. year, but I enjoy it. Uh, I enjoy I enjoy the process, and I enjoy seeing people achieve their goals. You know, their goals may not be to win Rutland. Their goals may not be to win a world championships. But I have one guy in particular, you know, who started just riding sportives and and just wanted to sort of break into cycling. This was yeah. about four years ago, and you know, he's he's lost. A lot of weight and he's really into it and he's become more a friend than anything mm. else you know sort of I'll, I'll whatsapp him and say you know hey man how'd you go on the weekend obviously you do that with your coach riders anyway but you know he's really taken to it and I have banter on twitter with mm. him and and on whatsapp and whatever and I really enjoy that side of things you know it's the communication aspect of yeah. things is great what, what's um, your what's your coaching style like as it's all internet based it's it's somewhat impersonal which kind of worries me um mm. because i do prefer i am quite a solitary person i'm quite happy i wouldn't say lonely but i am quite happy with my own company mm. but with coaching you do need that one on one to do it you know sort of justice if you will otherwise it can become quite formulaic so i use um, a software program called training peaks okay. um and you know, I'll put silly little things. I'll title, you know, sort of a training ride, something really silly, um, <laughs> or I'll I'll take the Mickey out of them. Yeah, you know, and and leave little cryptic messages and things like that, and then send a WhatsApp saying, "Oh, did you get it? Yeah, I got <laughs> it. Thanks. Ha ha ha." That's so cool. Um, that is cool. So you're being so, you're being more yourself, or you're trying yeah, to be, yeah. even in that sort of quite uh, yeah. regimented environment. That's right. Yeah. yeah, and and just try not to take it too seriously because the one thing I found was the fun went out of it for me and that's why I started to hate cycling and mm. you can you can look at that in absolutely any sphere of life yeah Charlie Tamfield said exactly the same thing didn't he exactly the same thing it just became eating disorder yeah he lost the fun lost the fun because he was starving himself yeah Charlie's was really good Charlie was great Charlie was you know and again another cyclist who suffered with eating it's you know mm. you know it, it's so weird it's yeah. so bizarre Oh, we just set ridiculous goals for ourselves and standards, and uh, yeah, it, it is it is bizarre. Yorkshire grit, Colin. This has been really inspiring. Um, I thought it would be before you came on. Actually, I had a little think last night to myself, and I was like, I think this is actually going to be really mind-blowingly good. Yeah, and it hasn't hasn't let us down. Not that I'm, not that we're using you as a form of entertainment, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> just clarify that. Yeah, um, but. Like I said, I wanted you to put your arm around me because I see you as someone who's really um, stoic and you've come out of it and you've words of wisdom, you speak elegantly. and you, I just appreciate your honesty yeah, and openness. I think that's going to help a lot of Because a lot of people would lie and I've started trying to be more honest. Yeah, you've got to be. What, what, what advice would you give to someone who is uh, potentially um, harnessing a mental disorder, in not necessarily in sport, just in any walk of life? Don't beat yourself up. Do not beat yourself up. Nope. You can't... This this is out of your control, so don't try to control that. 
you know, seek help. It doesn't matter what help that is. If it's riding your bike hard and half-wheeling the boys, if it's meds, if it's talking therapies and psychotherapy, um, whatever works for you, do it. But don't think you can go it alone because it is very, very difficult to do, extremely difficult to do, and it can lead to very dark and disturbing behaviours. I've been there. I've come back from there. I don't want to go back. You know, the whole thing of self-harm. The thing is you do it because the pain inside is so intense that it's often less painful to cut or to burn. But it still bloody hurts. The physical pain is real. So just don't go there. Okay, so I'm going to attempt to try and wrap up here. Uh, but that was just... Um if, you, if, if you're not here and you're listening to this in your car, in the gym, on the bike, at home, doesn't do it justice because that was unreal, wasn't it? Yeah. I don't really know what to say. No, actually. we, we I, were I, both quiet. I just, uh, yeah, Colin, thank you. Seriously, Seri for, yeah, for sharing honestly. that, for sharing a story. That's all I can say. That was unreal. Moving on. We, you know, we have actually, we've, you know, we've got, we've got another guest. Who is it, Tommy? Uh, episode seven, uh, Nick Compton. He's a busy man. He's into his photography now, but he used to be ex-England international cricketer, uh, scored centuries, famous father. How, uh, did, how did you get in touch with him, Tommy? Uh, Nick Compton came around through a third friend who lives in London who put him in touch. Yeah. And, and he messaged me. And we and I messaged him back. Brilliant. And we, and we were like, look, he said, oh, I've heard you do this podcast. And yeah, he, he's a really, really cool guy. He's really, I think he's really into his photography now. We're looking forward to getting his... Because cricketers struggle. Yeah. You wouldn't think it. Yeah. Cricketers really struggle. So that's going to be really great. It means another... Trip to London. London, uh, Yorkshire Great yeah. Road Show. Road, yeah. road trip. <laughs> road trip. <laughs> we'll get Danny. We're going to get Danny. We'll get Danny. Oh, Danny uh, I think Danny's still loving life, the good lad. He's, We're going to call in on Grayson Perry. We'll call in, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Take his motorbikes just, for a spin. Just knock on his door. <laughs> Remember us. Remember so, us. And he runs off. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah. oh, not you guys. <laughs> Emergency call. <laughs> yeah. So that'll be fun. Um, but yeah, it's great to get back on the bandwagon. I do apologise to everyone that we haven't been as sharp as getting them out but it's difficult people have lives We've people people move people have jobs it is just you know we do you know we are um trying our best tommy you you just said that you're feeling optimistic things are coming up yeah i've had a bad i think i've had another bad two weeks mm -hmm. and i know yeah i've had another bad two weeks but i feel very inspired by colin and the fact that i get my keys from my house yeah oh, i've been living out of a bag recently it's been really shit really tough yeah, best mates rang me up today as well, and there's a potential there for him to to move in. So here's on awesome. to let's take Colin's optimism. Yep, let's see. Take your optimism for uh, Leeds losing in for, the playoffs. Yeah, <laughs> for Liverpool, I'm off to Liverpool game on Saturday. Are you? Yes, All the got best, tickets. All so the come on. You still uh, got Champions League as well. Still got Champions League. Let's uh, let's take Colin's optimism at finishing Rutland. What's your next race? Come on, what's going on? I've got some um, LVRC, uh, which is the League of Veteran Racing Cyclists uh, events coming up. Um, Pyruba? Yeah, you know, I'll do a taffy. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, next year. <laughs> no. Um, so, yeah, just got some vets racing coming up. Um, keep it low-key. I'd love to ride the national titles um, on the road, but I don't have BC points. So, you know, that's going to be... <laughs> yeah, yeah. But Let's say thanks to Andy Swain. No, who, I will, mate. I who's, will. Who's put this on today? 
Um, yeah. yeah. Uh, Metal Tech Engineering Solutions mm-hmm. in Melton Mowbray. Yeah. Uh, big, big, massive thank you to Andy Swain. Yeah. Yeah, um, very much so. He's a great guy. He is a great guy. He's a great friend to me. Uh, I think he's a great friend to most people in the sport. You know, anybody that knows him knows his passion is unbridled. He's, yeah, he's a pretty special bloke. Colin, unbelievable. Thank you so much. Thank you. Let's get you back on the train. Yeah. Let's get you. Uh, nice one, boys. Thank you. Thanks for the uh, opportunity to share this. And, um, hope in some small way, if somebody takes, you know, one one aspect of my life and thinks oh yeah that rings a bell oh no trust but, me you know, we will get yeah. a lot of feedback from this trust yeah. me on that one mate no, thanks it's been brilliant gents Tom you've been awesome it's been I've missed you so have you Tommy I've missed you too come round for tea I will thank you all take care marching all right. together <laughs> bye 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 the Yorkshire Grit Podcast subscribe now on iTunes and Spotify